Chris, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. I think this is going to be a super fun time today. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. You are on a podcast tour right now doing lots of shows because you just published a new book about building the fort. Uh, tell us a little bit about like what was going on. What did you see? What's like the message that you just like had to get out into the world to take all the time and effort to release a book? Well, guys, it's, you know, you guys are both entrepreneurs and have that entrepreneurial spirit. You know, I've been on a journey for the last 10 years about seeing, you know, after 40 years of myself being an entrepreneur, how do I help other people build companies? How do I, and, you know, I can help one-on-one, -on -one, right? I can be an investor or a mentor. Um, you know, I ran my own accelerator inspired after Techstars, did 42 investments. You know, those are very kind of targeted. How can I have a bigger impact, which is how do I, how do communities, what are the things you could do inside your, your geographic community to make sure that you have created the conditions for lots of people to be successful and to start their entrepreneurial journey? Um, and the quickest way that I could kind of exemplify that guys is that I go around the world and I speak on, you know, stages and do the keynote thing. And, and I always say like, raise your hand if you've had an idea that you've wanted to create into a business. And you guys know, like 98% of the hands go up and I say, leave your hand up if you've actually taken the first step towards that journey and 98% of the hands go down. And I'm like, all right. So people, there's people there that have the dream to do it but are stuck. And so how, what can I do to unstuck that? And that's been my mission. Yeah. I love the, I uh, saw one of the blurbs for your book was from Steve case. And I think he has kind of some overlapping messages with his book. I actually went to an event here in Scottsdale a couple months ago and he released that book and he gave a talk about it. But I love the message, like you said, about going around the world, right? Not just like visiting San Francisco or visiting New York or other, other hubs. Why is that such an important, I guess, part of your mission is like, startups everywhere, startups in the less common places. And what's like the, yeah, just like the read on that. Well, I mean, there's this notion of like democratizing entrepreneurship and democratizing capital, right? And, you know, back 20 plus years ago when you guys, you know, weren't, weren't ready yet, um, you know, we had to go to San Francisco or New York or Boston because that's where the community was of not just capital, but knowledge and experience. And every day that dissipates, not to the detriment of those places, those are still very strong and noted places. But, and I'm sitting here in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, and we have one of the fastest growing startup communities in the world, and we're doing amazing things. And, you know, I just know that there's probably somewhere, you know, maybe at least 500 to 1,000 new entrepreneurs in Raleigh, Durham today than there were 10 years ago. And, you know, it can happen in places like there's, there's enough, you know, critical mass of knowledge, capital assets, all the things you need to lean on to be successful. There's enough here that it, it, you don't have to go to New York. And so I kind of been, it's like, let's, let's boost the uh, tier two and tier city, tier three cities. Right. And so I visited probably, I don't know, I can't even count anymore, 75 to hundred of them over the last five or six years and sat with, you know, guys like yourself and, you know, and all the actors, economic development folks, uh, founders, investors, university people, right? Because all, all these people play a role in your startup community. So if you're a young entrepreneur and you want to, you're not in a tier one city, how do you meet other entrepreneurs? Like, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, just start asking around, right? So you know that this tribe is very connected and very open um, and I don't think you have to, you know, yeah, you can do a couple, a couple Google searches on meetup.com or, or something find There's an entrepreneurial meetup somewhere. 
Um, so find that. But you can also just start, you know, asking friends, hey, do you know anybody that's doing a startup? Um, you don't have to go more than, you know, two or three degrees of Kevin Bacon to realize you're going to find someone asked to be introduced. Right. These are things you guys have all done right in your in your community. And you just have to kind of be a little bit proactive. Maybe that's even the first test of whether you're really entrepreneur. Can you can you put yourself out there just just a little bit? So just put yourself out there and do a little bit of searching and you'll find either a co-working space or a meetup or some kind of activity around the startup community. Yeah, especially when you're young, people like want to invest in you. And I found that in Birmingham. I mean, I just send a bunch of cold DMs on LinkedIn and maybe I've had some practice with the podcast, but like it's pretty quick. The, uh, you know, one person, you kind of get ping ponged around and then, you know, 10 entrepreneurs in Birmingham or 10 entrepreneurs in your city. And then you have a community that you're able to, to rely on. You know, what I was going to say is I, you know, in case you don't know this, whoever these listeners are, I think entrepreneurs have a very um, natural DNA that's there's like a give back connect kind of thing. And you, and you guys see it. Right. And so it doesn't matter, you know, whether you went to school or not, or whether you're, you know, what gender or race you are like entrepreneurs don't give a shit about any of that stuff. So, you know, all you have to do is do a little bit of reach out and they're going to warmly embrace you and kind of put you on your way. And, and like you just said, introduce you to eight other people within the next day. Yeah. And don't be discouraged by people who don't respond or, or don't say, you, you know, you should obviously follow up, but if it's not working, just move on. Uh, I couldn't encourage people more to not be discouraged by people who say no. And to always like, uh, there's something that Lewis and I, Lewis introduced me to, which is, you know, not uh, attributing malice where you can attribute ignorance or just like forgetfulness or busyness. And I think that's really busyness. important to, to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, Almost always busyness. <laughs> <laughs> right, especially these kind of people. But I wanted to ask about the the value of startup communities because I've seen Birmingham change really dramatically uh, to the positive over the last five to ten years. Um, and what happened was uh, they started investing in the idea of entrepreneurship in the city, and they planted seeds that then grew uh, and you know exited their companies and and have hundreds of employees now and there's all these you know years and years later benefits that come from planting the seeds but what would you say are like the uh, you know you're pitching to a, a community developer the mayor of a city how do you sell them on buying into startup communities entrepreneurship and and fostering that community it's a great question kyle and i've spent dedicated the last six years of my life trying to figure out that answer. Um, and the answer is it's a little different in different places, but I've actually been to Birmingham. I've actually met with the mayor. I've sat down with, you know, your quote unquote community leaders um, for a couple of days. And, and, and it's one of my poster childs for exactly how to do this well. And so I think, you know, if you and I are sitting here 10, 15 years from now, we're going to look back and go, oh my God, Birmingham is killing it. Right. So the first thing is, you know, there's a couple basic things I need to share with these kind of existing leaders. First of all, this is a 20 year journey. Um, and so you need to have both kind of the, the patience of letting it play out with the urgency of getting stuff done today and tomorrow. So you can, and which is kind of like an entrepreneur, right? You have this vision for where the company can go to, but you have to execute like today and tomorrow in the next three months. So very, very similar dynamic. Um, 
if they're not already there, I have to maybe taking a step back. I have to, you know, I want to share with them that having a local organic kind of grassroots up uh, culture of entrepreneurship diversifies your economy. Many tier two and tier three cities get very locked in to one sector. It may be the state capital. Maybe it's a state capital in a large university. Maybe it's one large manufacturer. And we all know that's very, very dangerous today. Um, most community leaders are having some level of brain drain. Why do they have brain drain? Because there's not opportunities. Why is there not opportunities? They don't believe they can do what they want to do in their community. So they go somewhere else. Like 20 years ago when I went to San Francisco or New York or Boston, um, me being the representative, you know, old guy entrepreneur, right? Um, so what do I tell these people? Like, listen, you got to do it. You know, you have to do it. You know, everyone else is doing it, your peer city. So you better kind of have a, you know, an entrepreneurship led economic development strategy. And then, you know, now the next question, I'm going to, I'm going to take you a step further, Kyle. Then the question is how you do it and what's happening. What I loved about Birmingham was extremely collaborative, no silos, no agendas, no, how do we all work together and, and collaborate and do what's best to create this culture of entrepreneurship in our city? How do you participate or, you know, educate around preparing the cities to prepare the entrepreneurs to actually succeed, right? I mean, entrepreneurship is just difficult and in a lot of ways. And it's, again, if there was one playbook that could be worked all the time, right? It's like everyone would just be starting businesses and printing, right. printing and, money. And, and, and both in founders, like, you know, we'd have, everyone would be a Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. And by the way, and every community would have three of those, right? So obviously there's not one playbook to run exactly. uh, or, or, you know, or a recipe. But, but what do you do in terms of like instruction or suggestion or just approach to improve the odds, right? Of like actual companies emerging that are enduring and successful. Yeah. Well, um, the, the heart of entrepreneurship and the heart of startup communities is that there's, there's very much an overlap. I think the best companies with the best ideas and the best founders typically come out of some of the best communities, right? And it doesn't really matter which happens first in this kind of chicken or egg kind of scenario. Um, but what you want as an entrepreneur is better access to knowledge, capital, other resources, right? Workforce, right? All these things you need to grow your company. And in that knowledge, you know, that some of that's advice and mentorship and right introductions and all these kind of soft things. Um, the more friction there is for you to get access to those things, the slower you are and the more risk that you don't succeed or succeed to the level that you want. Great communities reduce friction, right? To the, to the access to these things. And in fact, it's, so, you know, so what do you need to do as a community? It's like reduce friction, figure out how to make sure people get, get access to knowledge, capital, and all these kind of, you know, lots of, you know, social capital, all these different kinds of, of things. The worst part is if you don't do this, if you don't work collaboratively, if you don't create connections and meaningful connections and support each other in a most positive way, the best entrepreneurs figure that out and go somewhere else. So as I say, as an, as, as an entrepreneur, not only do you decide what you're going to work on, not only do you decide who you're going to work on it with, 
not only decide when you're going to launch it or go with it, you also decide where. And so it's incumbent upon communities from Birmingham to Seattle and everything in between. It's incumbent upon communities and their leadership, both leaders and influencers and all the people who kind of drive progress to make sure that you create a great community so that your best startups stay and have access and give them some kind of unfair advantage of all the resources available in your community. I also think that (laughs) is great. Excellent. Uh, Clip that value bomb. Um, No, I think that the value of failure is also very high for communities like entrepreneurs who go out and fail in a community, um, you know, are one probably a, a higher value person and employee afterward, but they also learned what the, um, the city, the community can support. And it gives future entrepreneurs and future, um, you know, leaders and, and business people, um, more evidence, more information to work off of to create a success in the future. And I think that, um, you know, it's very important for everyone to encourage, um, even failure, if that is the the end outcome, that is okay. Yeah, more than okay. I mean, let's think about this. There's not a city in the world that says, hey, we have enough kind of high-tech people. Let's talk about high-tech, high-growth startups, right? The kinds that the three of us are most familiar with. There's not a city in the world, a region in the world that says, we're good. We don't need any more, right? Every company, right? Mark Andreessen, every company is a tech company today. So if you just look around to your local corporations, they don't have enough tech talent. Well, what could be better in terms of workforce development than, which I think entrepreneurship at some level, to your point, Kyle, is a workforce development play. It's to say, listen, I want these people to go out. I want them to attempt to, you know, give a great shot at building their companies. You know, we know that a good norm of them are going to fail after a year or two. Well, that experience as applied to building a tech company and not in and all the things you guys are familiar with, right? Sales and marketing and leadership and hiring and firing and right. All those things that go across all of those things you go through through that first couple of years. Imagine someone saying, all right, you know what? I'm not going to do another startup, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to go join the local corporation. I'm going to lead a new team, right? How valuable is that person to now your local economy, right? And let's not make them go like, let's, let's integrate them in. So let's make sure as we're building the community, that corporations support the startup community because everyone who fails is a new workforce development, development body ready to be deployed somewhere else. And maybe they'll spend you a year or two and then maybe they'll go start another company. Right. And maybe it'll be a company that helps the sector of the, of where that business was. Like this just is, there's a flywheel fact that happens when everyone's working together and said, this is all good stuff. We need to do more of it. The positive flywheel of failure. That's a blog post for you right there. I like it. I love these cliches, the positive (laughs) flywheel of, of failure. Plus it's hard to say. I do want to briefly touch on kind of the opposite of high tech entrepreneurship and its value to the world and to local communities. I mean, there's tons of people who are really good at being an electrician or flooring who go out and start their own business that that supports the economy in a similar way. And and they deserve to be uh, praised and, and supported and encouraged just in the same way. 
Yeah, the broad, broad, broad definition of entrepreneurship. And, you know, what's funny is that I think at least 50% of the issues with entrepreneurship are kind of mindset and mental, not actually, you know, functional or, you know, very specific, whether it's a tech business, whether you're starting a restaurant, whether you're starting a, you know, a solo practice as a BI expert, you know, whatever it is, you know, the, the fear that you guys led with, like, you know, the things that stop you, the things that, kind of make you get stuck. All those things are applied across any business. And so, you know, having a great community has, you know, it just those lessons and that advice and that mentorship and that support can permeate all businesses um, in your area. Because by the way, you go build a high-tech business. I think the adage in economic development is for every high-tech job, there's four and a half service jobs created. That's awesome. I think one piece of mindset that's really critical that you addressed on the, you know, municipality level, if that's the right way to characterize it, is this is a 20 year journey, right? I think that a lot of entrepreneurs don't personally have that same level of expansiveness for themselves. 20 years is a long time, but even a lot of people like, don't even think like 12 months or 24 months, like a much more manageable period of time that's still necessary. So all of the things that are kind of, you know, ambiguous in terms of the benefits of mentorship and the benefits of community, that's all extremely nonspecific. And a lot of people are like, I don't see how mentorship or community is going to like, you know, get me from where I am now to this place in the future that feels, you know, impossibly distant, but it's not, I guess that's just when you expand your time horizon to 24, 36 months, it's like, and that's kind of where Kyle have been for the podcast as well. It's, you know, there's no clear benefit from like every specific conversation that we have in terms of like transforming me to learn some skill set that's like a critical puzzle piece to like me becoming the entrepreneur that I want to be. But it's like, so over like the course of six weeks, over the course of 10 episodes, it's like, why should I do this? But over the course of three years, it's like participating regularly in these types of conversations and having mentorship and like these ambiguous kind of things that just kind of, again, when you don't frame it correctly, they just sound fluffy. And like, like, what does that do for me? But when you say, okay, the impact of three, right, you're working at a community center, you're at a weekly startup themed event, and you're doing that 50 times in a year, and you're having coffee, like you said, you had coffee like 270 times in five months. It's like, when you add it all up, that is like, you can't look back on that and say over a period of 24 months of committing to a lifestyle like this, that I will not be dramatically further along in terms of the the beliefs and the attitudes and the actual practical skill sets as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's funny is that you know, the two books that I've written so far with the mindset of build the fort. So I want you guys and your audience to think about when you're yeah, 10 that was years My next old. question was going to be to uh, paint the metaphor for us. Right. Well, I'm going to start painting. So let's take us back. It's, you know, we're 10, 12 years old. We're in Birmingham or Arizona or Newtown Square, Pennsylvania. And your buddy says, hey, do you want to build a fort? And so I say, you know, it's a summer morning. Hey, Lewis, do you want to build a fort? And you say, Yes, 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 yes. Forts. And I love forts. Other than you having to take yourself off mute, you would, you would, that was the entire delay. That was the, that right. was for sure. Yes. You, you would answer yes in a nanosecond, right? So the first of all, like, let's think about the adult version of that. Um, hey, Lewis, you want to build a fort? Well, yeah, kind of sounds like a good idea, but I don't, I got to check my calendar. I, I got to check my calendar and I don't know anything about building forts and, you know, I mean, where are we going to get the wood and, and, uh, you know, like, will it, will rain get in? And like, I don't even know, like, should we put it here? Like your backyard, right? Like that's what we do as adults, right? We just immediately overcomplicate and bring all this psychological crap into it. So the idea of build the Ford is let's break down the noise. Let's simplify the complex and let's think more like 10 year olds. 
Now, one of the interesting things in building the fort, I believe it's lesson four, which is have a short-term mindset. And gets this gets to your point about um, kind of, you know, we do get preoccupied with the evolved dream, right? The place where, you know, everything's working perfectly and the UPS driver shows up with boxes of money every day, right? Like when we're starting anything, we have this evolved dream. And that doesn't matter whether it's your startup, whether it's your restaurant or whether it's your startup community, right? And so like, yeah, you have the involved dream that is what you aspire to be. But the question is, how do you get through the next day or two? As kids, right, that fort building activity better be no longer than three or four days, right? Or we're going to lose interest and move on. We also know we're not building the Taj Mahal. We don't need a bathroom or a kitchen. You're just pulling stuff together and becomes a starting place. And then you go, well, what if we modified this? And what if we modified that? So the long-winded answer, you know, with the metaphor of build a fort or the long, uh, maybe I should say the long-winded, uh, you know, addition to what you're saying in terms of short-term and long-term is, um, I coined a phrase for startup community building, and I think it applies to entrepreneurs as well. Success is through a thousand nudges. So it riffs on the death by a thousand cuts. Success through a thousand nudges. You keep putting more and more nudges together and more of those nudges to be positive, incremental, moving things. And the next thing you turn around, you have 160 episodes and you've met 160 people and you're connected to their networks, right? And that may seem daunting when you're starting out, but you know, just put them up, knock them down, put them up, knock them down and do these things over and over and over again. And before you know it, you look back three years later and you're like, damn, we've made a lot of progress in our company, in our community or whatever. I love that. I think I appreciate the metaphor enough where I feel confident I'm going to use it. I was on that phone call the other day. Kyle, were you on this phone call? Yeah, you were on that phone call with Jake from Swapstack. And he was a former podcast guest that I had to reconnect with to discuss some business ideas. And I was telling him about the you know vision for the quarter. And he's like, oh, so you're, you're, you're saying that you're just focused on cleaning up operational debt. I'm like, oh, yes, that's exactly a new word for me to use. That's exactly how to describe what I was trying to describe. Thank you. Royalty check is coming in a big box from FedEx tomorrow. Yeah. Box money for you. So I, f- I feel like I just hit that same level of this making sense where I'm about to be building forts with my words and conversations. It's coming yeah. soon. There's going to be an inevitable use case. I'm putting an eight day, an eight day timer. But I feel like I'm going to find a, u- a reason to use that metaphor in the next eight days because it's just, it comes back to, I just, there's a, a meme format. I know how familiar you are with meme formats of like the left brain versus the right brain or hmm. not left brain versus right brain, but left bell curve versus right bell curve. Exactly. And so that's genuinely been one of my big intentions for the year is to be left bell curve, not to be right bell curve. Cause it's, again, it's like, let's do something. It's like, okay, let's go. And the infinite list of unhelpful questions that don't make your life any better. No. So I joined a, a masterminds community where they like teach you how to get more clients for your business using cold email. And one of the things that they recommend is buying subdomains or like aliases of your domain. So like if you send too many emails and you go to spam, like you don't actually harm the reputation of your primary company's domain. And so it's like, well, I was thinking I could do, you know, try orbitmetrics.com or get orbitmetrics.com, but maybe hello orbitmetrics.com. And they're like, shut up, buy 10. This is the stupidest possible line of questioning for you. And like that made me fall in love with this community because it's like exactly what I needed to hear was like, 
stopping, like those are the most useless questions you could be asking. Just like find the nearest word. Like it could be A B C D E F G dot com. Just like nope, just go and send more emails. Lewis, keep the mic close to your face. Okay. <laughs> that was a subtle. Yeah. We're, okay. We're... Oh. It's all good. We're all friends. Hey, you know what? It's all a big experiment. We're all just iterating on everything, including exactly mic placement. Right. Exactly <laughs> Lighting right. has never been better. Never. Lighting is outstanding. <laughs> so, but Lewis, that's it's it's just you know, and may you know, there's a there's probably a handful of people out in the world that could like tee it up, like hit the ball out of the park. You know, there's six months on a rocket ship. Maybe there's some people that exist that do that. The rest of us have to grind away and have to get these little wins and just keep pushing it forward. And invariably you get stuck or you kind of decline and you got to work through those issues. It's like this continual game of whack-a-mole, right? There's always another issue, another issue. And I think sometimes people feel like it's a always, you know, up and to the right kind of existence. And it's not. And in fact, I think when you talk about resilience and all of these kind of skill sets that you need to be successful. It's because, you know, there's always a curveball coming your way using all the sports metaphors uh, today. But uh, I like, I like the fact that someone called you out and said, you know, stop overanalyzing or overthinking which domains buy 10, try them all and see what happens. Like it really doesn't freaking matter probably in the end. Yeah. I think um, the downside analysis is like very important like the downside of getting your domain name your subdomain name for your cold emails wrong is like literally zero and so <laughs> it like you know if you save time by just moving through decisions where the downside is zero when the downside is high you'll have much more time and much more brain capacity to actually consider the decision and whether or not it's something uh you know make a good decision like what do we what do we want to put the roof on this fort as because if it rains we're done for but you know where do we steal the wood from that's that needs to be a quick decision yeah and let's just go out and start stealing right <laughs> or borrowing statue of limitations right exactly yeah my, my favorite part of that story was you know where are we going to buy some wood or find some wood and i said well you know that house they're building up there it's funny, you know, by the time five o'clock rolls around, there's all this extra wood just laying there. That's so funny. Um, I think that one thing that you are, are saying with Build the Fort, even the title in the book is like this life of play sort of mentality that, um, you know, it brings me back to this time where there's this uh, kind of renowned or, or fearful um, per, uh teacher at my high school called Mr. C and I never had Mr. C, but both of my, my siblings did. And, uh, I had one class, one hour with Mr. C and from that hour, I, I think I learned more than all the other classes combined or something like that. But hmm. he put a period, he put a dot on the whiteboard or on the chalkboard. And he asked, uh, what is this to uh, like our group of ninth graders or 10th graders or something like this? And everyone's like, that's a period. Like there's, it's a period. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, it's a, a the eye of a cave. It's the opening to an, a portal, a different dimension. And like, uh, that has stuck with me so heavily. And it's the difference between, um, you know, adults who come up with a list of a thousand reasons not to do something versus the kids who go out and start steal stealing the, the wood. And I think that uh, having a life of play 
allows you to have this like mindset of creativity. Um, and that's kind of like the setup for my question is like, how, how do you have a life of play and like, how does that impact your, uh, mindset of, of creativity and, and why is that important? Well, I definitely think it's a muscle. And it's a muscle in a way that it can get stronger the more it's used. So, you know, you start by doing side hustles. You start by maybe helping work on someone else's startup, right? You, you, you start by kind of, you know, getting, put yourself in environments where you don't just see a period, right? That you see other things. And, you know, I think this entrepreneurial tribe for the most part is pretty creative, right? Um, there's lots of different perspectives. And so I think if you can put yourself in those situations and be opening to what you hear, I think that muscle can start to build. And it may take months or maybe even a year or two. Frankly, I don't think I really became a good entrepreneur till I was in my 40s, till I kind of think I saw more of the picture and was more open and was in, was in control of my fear and my inhibitions. So I definitely think it's something that you can build, but you have to put yourself in the place of that and where you just don't see a period. I love the story. I might be stealing that or borrowing Amazing. it. Amazing. It's a fair exchange. Yeah. The something interesting you've just said. This is a, a cringy podcast fourth wall thing. Podcasters, I want to double tap on that. And I, I feel like it's funny when they don't acknowledge that it's cringy to say that. But to double tap on that, the what characterized in your mind a shift between yourself as not a good entrepreneur and yourself as a good entrepreneur? I wasn't a good entrepreneur until my 40s. What was the difference between you as the effective entrepreneur and you as the ineffective entrepreneur? Um, fear, it, it just trepidation. And, you know, uh, I think up kind of prior to, I finally releasing that, um, was that I would overanalyze things. I kind of try to, I wanted to control the outcome. Uh, you know, I think control is a, is a weird, you know, I think as a word, it's a weird phenomenon. It's, a, it's, you know, some of us feel like we have to control all aspects of our life in order to be happy or to be safe, whatever the drivers are. And it was kind of, relinquishing that, you know, control thing and just being a little bit more open to kind of just, you know, I always think like a, my, my mental image, my visual is a, is water running down a hill, right? It's going to find its kind of easiest path down. It's going to hit a rock and take a right. And, and so I, I think I let go a little bit more and let me just kind of find a path without worrying about what others thought of me. Um, you know, family, parents, peers, right? Because entrepreneurship is still a kind of a crazy thought in most traditional worlds, right? And so once I kind of could just release that and just kind of take it off my shoulders and just say, let's see what happens. I, I will be successful regardless of where the water takes me. Was That's a big realization. Is that guided by a I guess traumatic events where you're working like with a therapist or with a coach? Like how did, how does that's a big shift. It was a huge shift. And I think today it would be guided by our therapist or coach. Then it was just an epiphany. It literally just hit me over the head like a like you would with a two by four. Um, and a two by four that we probably borrowed from up the street. But uh yeah, so it was it literally like I woke up one day, and this has happened four or five times in my life, guys, where you just kind of wake up and all of a sudden you kind of go, I'm gonna look at that thing differently. It's now a cave, right? Um, and so I don't know what inspired it. I, I've tried to think about it. I, I know exactly where I was um, uh, when it happened. And but I don't know, I don't know why it was 
why it came to be. I just know that at that point, I felt like I had taken 30 pounds off my shoulders. By the way, your second startup is a lot harder than your first. <laughs> if your first was successful, there's a little more pressure on you. Um, well, I'm thinking about the setup for this. The other, okay, a couple of weeks ago, I was going to Aiken, South Carolina. This was actually like a year ago uh, with my girlfriend's family and her grandparents were, were following behind us. And they were following uh, like street signs to get to Aiken. And they were like, do we turn in Augusta? Like this sign says Route 66. And uh, my girlfriend was like, why don't you just use your map on your phone? And there's a, uh, a big generational gap between those two things. And you were a big part of making... Uh, you know, mapping technology and directions, a, a, a thing. So can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like and, and what it was like uh, or, or how it affected you so early in your career? Well, uh, let me give you a couple of things you didn't know. You probably didn't know that I have an undergraduate and a graduate degree in geography. So I'm probably the only geographer you've ever met. Um uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not 20 something. I'm 63 years old. So if we go back, uh, almost 40 plus years into finishing college in the early eighties, I took, I think at least 12 to 15 hours of computer science, which was unheard of at the time. So somehow though, I'm this kind of soft liberal arts geography guy. I liked computers. And so that's really the genesis of the next 15 years of my career is figuring out how to apply technology to mapping and cartography. So obviously MapQuest as one of the founders, um, you know, happened years later, but it was really, MapQuest is really just the evolution of a set of applied technologies, first on the desktop, then on a CD-ROM, then on, you know, attempts with an, a, an, an Apple product that you probably never heard of called the Newton, which was its first handheld that didn't make it. Um, and eventually the internet. And so, the other thing I'll tell you is that we birthed all of that in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So if you know anything about Lancaster, not unlike Aiken in a weird way, it's, Amish country. it's 55,000 Amish people. So obviously an unbelievable startup community, I say with all sarcasm, right? Um, so, you know, the good news is we had, I think it, we were experts in mapping we had an existing mapping company that, you know, that was doing millions of year uh, and map services. But so we knew mapping really well. And then we were kind of learning about the applied technology. So we had no fear. So what's funny is years later, you know, fear starts to, you know, I, I know what the journey, like I didn't know what I didn't know back then, but I, you know, obviously years later I knew and, and then this kind of, you know, inhibition and fears kind of come in. Bringing this all back to kind of, you know, build a fort, you know, I think about, and that's what really your question and what, you know, how does the MapQuest journey apply in this build a fort? I think we just were a bunch of 10 year olds who just were really motivated and didn't like took a really simple incremental approach and, and ends up that we ended up finding, you know, striking gold with, with MapQuest. Taking that into startup communities, how do I apply that across not just one startup that I'm working on, but maybe, you know, 50 or 100 in community? All right, let's, let's, let's shed all the crap. Let's try to like deep, you know, 
demystify this fear thing. Let's try to figure out how you, the 98% keep some of their hands up, right? How do we get more people? And if I can kind of take the lessons that I learned at MapQuest and the lessons in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and then Chicago, Illinois, and Washington, DC, and now in Raleigh, Durham, not New York or Boston. How, how do we kind of take all this and maybe just, just take enough crap off of our shoulders and our minds to be able to execute the thing that we dream about doing? I was trying to find the mute button again. Um, Is it time to sing Kumbaya? Was it, was it a little squishy? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think too squishy. I have a very high threshold for squishy. <laughs> like extremely high threshold. Like, I'm the squishy I, meister. Exactly. Exactly. Like I go to a yoga class and the instructors like say things and I'm like, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm all the way there in terms of like, and I, I'm actually like, it's not a good yoga class. If the woo woo isn't like nine or 10 out of 10. We so, could all use a little more woo woo in our life. Yeah. I've, uh, I've really embraced the woo. I'm like, maybe they're just right. Then that's just, that's just exactly the truth right now. Uh, you were giving a little list of cities giving us a little tour through the career. Uh, this is sort of a bonus themed question. What are some other shout outs kind of under the radar, maybe a little bit about the research triangle. We've kind of given Birmingham some good airtime where else in the U S maybe not in the U S are really interesting worth paying attention to. I'll put my hat in the ring for Scottsdale, Phoenix area. Uh, where else? Well, what we're doing in Durham over the last 10 to 15 years has been amazing. Um, you know, Raleigh and Durham are about 26 miles apart. Durham and Chapel Hills about uh, eight miles apart. That's hence the triangle. Each of those places, Raleigh has NC State, very large kind of, you know, Arizona State, University of Alabama, kind of large, you know, 40,000 student population. Duke University, very elite, probably 8,000 students. UNC Chapel Hill, somewhere in between 20, 25,000. So you have this kind of triangle of universities, triangle of towns, a lot of towns in between, population that's growing from two to three million over a 10 year period or so, like, you know, a lot of in migration. And yet you, each of those communities are a little different. And so where I've spent most of my time is in Durham. We have no racial majority in Durham, 40% white, 40% black, 20% everyone else. Um, it's a formerly kind of industrial textiles and tobacco. Um, we started our startup community building, um, initially in Durham today, you know, it's got a probably close to a hundred thousand square feet of just startup space over three buildings. Some of those in old tobacco warehouses. Um, so it's a very kind of, you know, what, what do we love as entrepreneurs? Cheap, shitty space, right? So when we started this 12, 15 years ago, probably 25% of the buildings in Durham were abandoned or, you know, burnout. And so the startup community has been part of this revolution. It's now one of the New York times is, you know, you know, begs best food cities coming. Like you talked about main street businesses, Kyle, like, like all the stuff works together. Right. And, and so I'm very proud of that. I, I, what I love is the accessibility of both Durham and the region in terms of when anybody comes new in the town, one of the first things they say after a few months is, I'm amazed how easy it is to connect to people and that everyone will take your first meeting. And so when I go all over the country, I'm kind of like, wow, my place is still pretty, pretty good there. Um, so that's a place I love. Um, I love Boulder, right? Home of tech stars, uh, you know, home of Brad Feld. And, you know, he's such a thought leader in terms of entrepreneurship and, and startup communities, but Boulder has a really great culture, right? Like, you know, 
if I'm 20 something and I'm deciding where I'm going to start my company and I'm free to do it anywhere, I'm probably heading to Boulder even more so than Denver. Um, you know, uh, I, I happen to like to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. I like easier access to things. I like less friction. So I'm not a New York, San Francisco, LA kind of person. I like these other communities that are kind of, you know, getting to be kind of frothy. Um, uh, internationally, what would I talk about? Uh, I, I've spent a bunch of time in Taipei, Taiwan. You know, it's a little bit more kind of hardware focused, uh, but it's got a very vibrant, like fast moving, like, you know, and the government's playing a really good role in being more of a supporter in a big way, as opposed to trying to be the leader, because it never usually works that way when the government takes the lead position. Uh, boy, there's a couple, there's one more in there. I have a very good buddy in Reykjavik, Iceland. And for this little weird island, they have a frothy little startup community, especially post 2007, 2008, when the government said, we're going to try to be a place for Europeans to come and, and get stuff done. And so when I think about a leading community, it doesn't necessarily have to be just big. I just want it to be kind of optimal, right? So even places like Knoxville or Nashville or Birmingham, maybe not Aiken, might be still a little small, you know, but all these places, um, obviously Phoenix, um, you know, Denver. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've talked to people in, in all of them, Boise, Idaho. One bonus question for me, one from you, and then I think this will be right on time for everybody. What is the importance of your writing practice? You know, looked at your blog and I, it was like scrolling down, hit next page, next, next, next. I mean, there are 56 pages to scroll through and not 56 blog posts, 56 pages. That's a lot of writing. What's the importance of that? Why do you, why do you do it? Thanks for asking the question. By the way, I have to say that you're talking to a guy who failed freshman English in college because he couldn't write. I was told all through high school and college. I didn't learn until grad school kind of how to write. Um, and it's actually pretty simple, but somehow I got lost in that. Um, for me, writing is, is therapy. Writing is, uh, and, and I, and I owe a lot of my blog writing to, um, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but a gentleman who's the managing editor and managing editor of Inc. Magazine. And he asked me if I would be interested in being a contributing writer, which I thought was very exciting. And this was, you know, probably six, seven years ago. And I said, well, what do you want me to write about? He goes, just write what you see. And so that's my kind of motivation, write what I see and just share that with people. The other thing is not unlike kind of you guys starting in your episode, I'm not, I'm not assuming that like a hundred thousand people are going to read that blog post, nor do I I'm striving to do that. All I know is that when you put a body of work out there and the long tail, right, of work and and the long tail of of access is that cumulatively, I might be seeing five or ten thousand people a week see my stuff. It may be over five hundred pieces because in that moment, that day, that post meant something to someone that they would wanted to to go in and and and, and dive in. So, from a blog post writing point of view. It's a little bit of therapy. It's a little bit of sharing. It's obviously like you guys, it's a little bit of a brand play and a little bit of like getting myself out there, which hopefully creates new opportunities for things. Um, the book writing is, is kind of like a, a, a love thing. My dad was a huge avid reader. I mean, five to eight books a week for as long as I, as long as he, the later part of his life, you know, 40 years. 
So I think I'm writing, even though he's no longer with us, I think I'm writing the books for him in some weird kind of, you know, meta way. Now is me looking for the mute button. Um, five to eight books is a lot. Uh, I love that. It reminds me of uh, Warren Buffett writing his uh, his annual letter to his sister. And I think that when you uh, look at it through that lens, you probably say things or, or things come to mind that otherwise wouldn't. But I did remember my earlier question. Um, I often hear people a lot younger than you um, say, not a lot younger, I mean like that, but like they say that when they were young, being an entrepreneur wasn't cool. It was like weird. It was this like, what the hell are you doing kind of thing. Uh, whereas today it's definitely in vogue. Um, is that true? Like, you, you know, you don't want to believe everything you hear on the internet. When you were young, was it weird to be an entrepreneur? And what do you think it is that has changed over time? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, Kyle, because uh, I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was. I didn't even know the word um, for many, many years of my, uh, you know, kind of college to, you know, first X years of post-college. Um, my first job out of college was at the U.S. State Department, basically. So government position. Uh, the next thing you know, I get recruited to this mapping company in Lancaster that's part, one part of a $6 billion printing company. So in today's parlance, some people may call those initiatives maybe more of an intrapreneur. So I think I was showing entrepreneurial thinking and kind of problem solving and disrupting and trying to make things better, right? That's what entrepreneurs typically do. But I was doing them inside large beasts of, of you know, government or corporation or corporation. So yes, it's true. I, I think it was, it's, it's definitely more sexy and more um, attainable or knowledgeable or, you know, there's a greater awareness of being an entrepreneur today. And I think the media has a lot to do with it, right? The media kind of talking about Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson or Steve Jobs, right? You know, Mark Zuckerberg, right? The media has really created a very unhealthy but sexy kind of portrayal of that journey and what could be. And so when you all, when you're 18 and 20, when you see that, you're like, you know, I, I, I want to do that. I, I want to sign up for that, the Zuckerberg plan. The other thing I would say um, that I think is a little bit more psychological and interesting is I think we've taught you all, you know, I'm in the age, not a little older than probably your parents. We've taught you to be self-servant, to be, you know, to do your own thing, to follow your Right. I think we've been trying to do that for years. Like you can do whatever you want, you know. And so in that, I think the idea of starting or joining or being part of a early stage startup kind of endeavor, taking an idea to 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 launch. I think that it's something that we've been baking into you for, for years and years versus me when, you know, when I was in that stage, you know, all my dad wanted me to do is get a good job that would last me a lifetime. Well, this has been a awesome podcast conversation. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on with us. You have a website, you have a book, you have other things. What do you want to direct attention to from people who have been with us the whole time and still want to keep going? Yeah, well, I mean, if you're motivated, go find one of the two books on Amazon.com. Just search for Build a Fort and my name, Chris Hively. Um, the other thing is I do open office hours every week. You can go to my website at Hively.com and just find me through contact. I think it's contact me, contact us, whatever. And I'll do 20 minutes. Anybody can sign up. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Typically booked a couple of weeks in advance. 
Um, most of those people are entrepreneurs. I did an hour this morning. Usually they're Thursday mornings for me. They're my favorite part of the week is I get to talk to, you know, guys just like you and uh, talk about whatever you want to talk about. And I always tell them at the end, hey, my advice is no better or worse than anybody else's. I'm going to sleep the same whether you use it or not. But here's here's one other data point that you can consider. That's an awesome offer. That's one of the cooler call to actions I think we've had on the podcast. But that's a like cool and being like, yeah, DM me on Twitter, follow me. I don't know. I like that. So yeah, awesome. let's just chat. Yeah, well, we will wrap this up here. And amazing.